Find Your Focus is a recharging space for the ambitious introverted woman. Grab a quick energy boost and reflect on how you want to show up as an introverted leader in your personal and professional life. Here's some inspiring stories of people around the world who've done things differently from society's extroverted expectations. Your host, Heather, a woman's leadership and life transitions coach, founder of a restored radiance coaching for the ambitious introvert, international communicator and marketer, world traveler, UK expat and fellow introvert. Heather aims to help ambitious introverted women find their unique leadership voice and create life transition roadmaps from career changes to moving countries or cities. Join Heather every Tuesday to find your focus, to fill your mindset with positivity and motivation to go after your dreams using your own unique energy blueprint. Your perceived weaknesses are your powerhouse. Before we get started, here's a quick note from Heather. Welcome, welcome, ambitious introvert soul. I'm so happy to have you here on the Find Your Focus podcast. These podcast episodes are crafted with love for you every single week, and I hope this content serves you and recharges you. Now, a couple of quick notes before we begin. I uh, record these uh, podcasts in my home here in Washington, D.C. I live about a mile away from the White House, so you're going to enjoy all the, the sounds of my neighborhood from time to time. And it'll just feel like you're joining me on the couch, and we are diving in deep on great combos with our tea and coffee in hand. So welcome to my home. Also, I'm all about the authentic conversations. And so I want people to feel that they can express themselves, their true selves here. So there will be explicit language from time to time. So keep that in mind um, when you are listening to these. Another note, I refer to women. Now, this is a safe and welcoming place. And I want anyone who feels, who identifies as a woman um, to feel welcome here. And of course, if you don't, identify as a woman, you are also welcome here, but it's primarily for those um, lovely souls who identify as women and ambitious introverts. So with that in mind, let's jump into our next episode. Lots of love. Here is your host. I'm very excited to introduce the guest speaker for today. It's going to be a really powerful and inspirational episode for you. Uh, our guest speaker, Lisa Martin, is a multi-passionate entrepreneur and the founder, CEO, and creative soul behind Lisa Martin Designs and Lisa Martin Coaching. As an artist, she handcrafts and curates bespoke and limited edition gemstone and crystal jewelry, stationery, paper goods, and printables to uplift, inspire, and empower women daily. As a soul guidance and mindset coach, and as a domestic and sexual abuse survivor, she specializes in supporting survivors of abuse, childhood, trauma, heartbreak, loss, and the women who feel like they have lost themselves. Lisa facilitates women's rediscovery and reconnection back to their heart and soul. She then guides them to rewrite their story through one-on-one heart-led coaching, group coaching, retreats, and creative well-being and mindset workshops. Lisa is also a mental well-being advocate, writer, and author of the new book, The Girls Who Refuse to Quit, 
featuring 14 inspirational women who overcame life's adversities and how they rewrote their stories. Lisa Martin lives in the beautiful market town of Beverly in Yorkshire, England. She has four children and two granddaughters, one she lost through adoption and the other whom she oversees as legal guardian. So I can't wait to introduce you to Lisa. Um, A word of caution, ladies. Uh, This episode does talk about domestic and sexual abuse and trauma, so it may be triggering. So do what you need to do in this moment to look after your heart. And I look forward to introducing you to Lisa. I wanted to jump straight in um, because, you know, that's how we do it here um, on the podcast. And also as fellow introverts, we love all those deep dive questions. (laughs) And (laughs) so I wanted to um, ask straight away because I think um, our listeners would really relate. Um, You mentioned that you are an introvert and an empath. Can you describe what an empath is and how being both has impacted your life? In a word, no. Um, for me, being an empath is its kind of where I feel everybody else's emotions when I enter a room. Um, and I pick up on any tensions or if somebody's in a bad mood, I can instantly get that and that affects my mood then. Um, I don't like raised voices because it triggers me. Um, I get very shy in big spaces and big crowds, even though I'm not a shy person. Um, Introverted, again, in big crowds, but one-on-one, I'm fine. You know, I can laugh and joke with the best of them and can be quite confident. So I think it's more about gauging other people's feelings and being respectful of the environment that you're in. other people might have a different opinion on what an empath is but for me that's how I deal with life so yeah Mm, I really relate to that especially when you're saying that certain things trigger you Um, for me they're cupboards if they're slammed Um, even if the person is doing it unintentionally it it makes me think of um, scenarios in my childhood where passive aggression was was kind of um, running high. So can you tell me about those triggers for yourself and where they stemmed from? It stems from growing up with uh, a father who was abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw things as a child that no child should ever have to say or hear really. Um, he wasn't just abusive to my mom, but to his other wives as well. Um, obviously that's their story to tell but yeah and then it kind of impacted then how I grew up as a child because I was also abused as a child um, and bullied really severely because of that so for me loud noises people shouting at each other people hitting each other it really I just don't like it it just really really affects me I prefer to be nice mm. and kind and um, I've had people say to me you know how come you're not a nasty person with everything you dealt with in life and I just think why should I let them win why should I let that kind of have a negative attitude and negative atmosphere I don't want that I'd rather be better and um, 
but yeah my childhood and my dad it kind of affected how I then had adult relationships I always picked men that were no good they were quite toxic relationships um, and it took me a long long time to actually be okay with who I was as a woman I think I was about 34 when I actually kind of just sat there and went actually you are worth loving you are worth being you know the person you are I kind of lived my life for everybody else and their wishes and their needs I never put my needs first mm-hmm. and that took me until about 18 months ago I started putting my own needs first and actually saying to people do you know what I've done for everybody else it's my time now um, but that only came after a big loss mm-hmm. um, so yeah the, the abuse and the violence and the bullying it, it did it affected me greatly mm. and gosh that sounds like such a traumatic start to your childhood and of course like you were saying shaping how you see the world how you interact with the world and those around you and as well as your internal world so can you can you talk me of how uh, talk to me about how um being there um as you know a, a child to a teen and then stepping into your adult life um what were the things that you were carrying with you um internally and maybe externally and how was that shaping the relationships around you a lot of guilt um i remember the day my dad walked out he kind of walked out without a backward glance and for me it was kind of like well because i caught him hitting my mum, and that's why he left and it was my fault and then obviously we've never really had much contact um his voice not mine and it always made me feel not worthy not good enough um and I carried that then into other relationships. So yeah, it was it was a real a real big thing. And I think because of that, because I didn't feel worthy, and because I was getting the bullying, that just compounded that that you're actually not a nice person, which then led me to kind of not eat because not because I wanted to kind of think oh I want to die or something like that. It was never like that. It was more if I don't eat if I'm not seen I can't be hurt Mm. and even now when I think back and I think of my 13 year old self I think that was a really silly thing but in hindsight I suppose at the time it wasn't it was just how my emotions were playing out Mm -hmm. and creativity played a big part I did dance a lot just and that just took my it took me away you know my imagination took me to another place and creating stories for my brother when the shouting got too much that took me to a different place and I still do that now to you know soothe emotions and sort of take take people away and yeah it's it really has shaped my life and the choices that you make I mean I often think if I'd have been shown the love and guided in a, in the right way would I have picked the men that I chose or would I have picked better men mm. 
and I suppose nobody can answer that because obviously you never know but luckily now you know my partner now is is I won't say perfect because he's sat in the corner and he'll get a big head um, <laughs> <laughs> but no I mean he's he's really supportive and you know he's he's one of the kindest people I know um, he still needs shouting at from time to time because he's uh, I think he, he often says who's the child <laughs> I think I'm more of a grown up than he is at times um, he'll be shooting me for this I can hear him <laughs> <laughs> the eye rolls <laughs> yeah oh so, wow. yeah and you know it's I, I think um, the listeners might be relating um, or um, might be really surprised to hear these stories because you sound like such a strong person and to have that foresight when you were um, so young to be in such a um, volatile situation where it it was very scary and a risk to your safety um, that you made that conscious decision to 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 be kind and to do the reverse of what you saw modeled for you. Um, and while you had different coping mechanisms at that time that shaped you, I think that shows the true strength of your character. And you, you've you told um, me before that life has thrown you a few curveballs. Um, Definitely. <laughs> so, um, can you uh, share with the um, listeners, because ladies, um, I, she sits before me today and she's this, um, fin- she's just like this little ball of light and cheer and joy. Um, and she's also a mindset coach. So can you share with the listeners about from your, maybe your twenties and all those curveballs in between to where you are today sitting here as a fierce, protective, kind mindset coach? (laughs) Um, I became a mum at 18. Um, She wasn't planned, um, but there was no way that it wasn't going to happen. After my abuse as a child, I was told I'd never have children. I'd been damaged. (laughs) But yeah, so when I was 17, found myself pregnant I was like oh my what am I going to (laughs) do but like I said there was nowhere I wasn't going to keep her Um, it was a very difficult pregnancy Um, I was beaten throughout and was in and out of hospital with blood loss and everything else it was quite a traumatic birth she took 47 hours to arrive and then was born not breathing Um, and I just for me it was then about protection my life then wasn't just about me um, and she was a little ball of dramatic fire from the minute she was born <laughs> um, and still is and then when I went on and had my second child uh, a boy he was about six months old and I realized things were not quite right you know he wasn't doing what he what they say they should be doing so I went to my GP and I said, look, something is not quite right with him. Um, it took about two years, he was in and out of hospital. I was accused of not loving him, not looking after him properly, even though we had different reports saying otherwise. Um, 
then I had my second son and he started going the same way and I thought mm, there's something going on here um, eventually they were both diagnosed with autism um, my elder daughter was also diagnosed as having severe special needs but she was also I don't want to say the word psychotic but she was a very Jekyll and Hyde character because she tried killing the boys um, she ran away more times than she was at home she stole so it was every day was totally different every day I woke up and it was kind of like okay what is today going to hit me with are we going to have a day where they're all on a roll or are we going to have a day where they're all screaming the house down because mm -hmm. my second son couldn't speak he had no communication so it you know he just had like two he had a quiet scream and a loud scream that mm -hmm. was it and I had no support from my first husband at the time as much as he loved the kids and as much as he loved being a dad I think he kind of really struggled with having children with special needs and to be honest so did I it was kind of mm -hmm. like okay what I've done as a mum to kind of have children that have got this and obviously now you know I realise they're not you're not being punished because you have children with special needs they're very very unique and they have taught me so very much in life and yeah some days were really really hard and people would judge me and they would like look at the kids because to everybody else they look normal you know they don't wear a label that says you know I've got needs mm -hmm. and so people would say to me oh they look fine you know what's going on you're just making this you know how hard it is up and I would say come and spend a day come and spend a day in my house and then when you leave tell me what you would do differently mm -hmm. um luckily I had a very good friend who she was really really supportive and she'd come and see me maybe twice a week and make me a cup of tea and make me sit down um because I was always on the go, you know, from the minute I got up to the minute they went to bed, you know, they were my life, and they still are, my kids are still my life today, but yeah, she'd make me sit down and make me a slice of toast, and she'd be like, take a breath, mm. just breathe, just breathe, so yeah, you know, there were some big curveballs from hospital visits to, you know, obviously, they all had different needs, because they're all completely different in their how they deal with life and how they deal with things like my daughter she's a screamer and a shout and would slam doors and my elder son he is so laid back he'd be horizontal and he's just so chilled and so he's a joy he's completely always happy mm -hmm. my second son he he was kind of a mixture of both but because he couldn't speak he used a system called Makaton to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and thank God for that little book because if I didn't have that, I would never have known, you know, what you needed from a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. So just, just juggling motherhood, you know, when you've got four children, each with different needs and varying needs, it's damn bloody hard. Um, but then obviously you've got the guilt on top of that, you know, kind of could I have done something better can I do this differently and your needs as a woman mm -hmm. totally get forgotten you know 
forget having couple time and you know a nice soak in the bath or even five minutes to yourself on the loo yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's none of that (laughs) forget it (laughs) there's none of that i mean even even just motherhood with children that don't have additional needs is is a tough job um you know it's it's not easy by any means but yeah but it did it gave me some real curveballs and then a miscarriage as well with some children um which was hard Mm -hmm. um but then obviously becoming a single mom um you know and having to move from from a village to sort of town life that was hard but that kind of gave me my own identity i wasn't then oh, that's such and such as mum or such and such as wife. Mm-hmm. People actually start saying, oh, hi, you know, you are, and called me by my name, which was really nice. Um, and I, I always said, you know, when I left my first husband, that's it, I'm off men. I don't want a relationship. You know, it's going to be just me and the kids. And it was for a while until I met my second husband, who I met online of the four friends, <laughs> and thought he was the woman. <laughs> yeah so but that's a different story in itself <laughs> and we met and sort of married within two years mm-hmm. um i just knew it was right instinctively you know i hadn't met him i didn't know what he looked like at all he did with me um but i just knew he made me laugh and we would talk for absolutely hours and hours and hours and he asked me the question, you know, if the kids have got autism and special needs, what can I do? How do I learn about it? And I said, you don't. You can read numerous books, you can look at numerous articles, because they're all so different. The only thing you can do is live with it and deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, motherhood taught me some pretty tough curveballs, but then obviously, behind all that there was still I'd not dealt with like the abuse from when I was younger, I'd not dealt with the domestic violence issues you know, I was still having issues around the guilt I felt about not having a dad in my life mm-hmm. even though I've got a fantastic stepdad yeah, you know, and I love him dearly my dad is still my dad um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I do love him you know, it's not I don't love him, I do I just I often question why, you know, why did he feel the need to kind of never speak to us, you know? And I suppose I question that because he's got other children that he does speak to and he does have a relationship with. So you're still getting that kind of, well, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. But I know now there's nothing wrong with me. It's his journey, not mine. Um, so yeah, the curveballs have been many. Um, obviously becoming a grandmom. Um, that was, you know, a fantastic experience, um, you know, but losing a grandchild as well has been really, really hard. And I know for me, that's something I've got to deal with, but that may come at a later time because mm-hmm. I think when you've got to be a strong person for another little one who's, you know, missing her sister through no fault of her own, um, you know, you've got to be mindful that yes, you've got that grief there, but you can't deal with it yet. And so I do carry guilt for the fact that I couldn't look after them both mm-hmm. as much as I wanted to. 
so yeah you do there's 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 lots i feel guilty for there's lots i i not wish that i'd have done things different but wished i'd have known more mm-hmm. i don't know if that even makes sense mm. <laughs> No, I think it does, and I think it's a very natural human experience, right? That um, we're always, um, or at least, you know, when you have that self-awareness, you're always trying to see, you know, how you could do things better, or if things were slightly different, what would you do? I think it's part of the learning process, isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. But when when you were telling everyone about um, being a mom at such a young age, and, um, and, and then being dealt with, you know, how do I be a mom um, to um, children with um, a, a, on the uh, with learning disabilities, right? And and engaging them and supporting them and nurturing them. Um, did you have at that time? Did you have any sort of support, or what was the what was society like? Was there much understanding about how to support people with learning disabilities at all? No, I had no support whatsoever. Um, we had a social worker but she would only come maybe once every six months, stay half an hour, do like, you know, the checks they need to do and then that was it, she was on a merry way. Mm-hmm. Um, never once did she say, you know, do you need anything? Is there any extra support we can put in place? There was a lot of judgment um, from different people coming from a small village that you'd not actually been born into because mm-hmm you know in in different locations they have like different views and um, and in somerset where i lived at the time the village was really tiny and their views were if you weren't born in this village you don't belong so it was mm-hmm. quite it was quite awkward to kind of even get to talk to people even the neighbors you know yeah. they were very very closed off and um, and when i used to take the kids to school you know, you'd get looked at and you'd get, like, people looking at you from the corner of their eye um, because it was all kind of bought houses, whereas ours was a council house, so, of course, we were the commoners among the posh villagers. Um, so people would look down their noses and they would pass comment. And I just, I don't know why, I've got my nan in my ear going, that's because I taught you just to smile politely. <laughs> Which, and she did. She always used to say... You know, give people a smile. If they can't say anything nice, just smile sweet. It pisses them off knowing. <laughs> <laughs> so I always used to have that in the back of my mind. And you could see people like kind of, because um, I'd walk in and I'd always be like, morning, how are you? You know, hope you're having a lovely day. And they'd look at you as if you'd got five heads or something. And I'd be like, okay, which head am I wearing today then? <laughs> But yeah, and I think even now with disabilities and any kind of mental health, any kind of difference, there is still too much judgment. And and I just feel as a society, we're not as kind as we could be. Or maybe that's just me being naive, I don't know. But yeah, I just think if we were a lot kinder with people and maybe a little bit more understanding, you know about what's going on because you don't know what's going on behind somebody's smile mm-hmm. did a blog post yesterday and because it was time to talk today and i'd seen lots of images with people not smiling because they'd you know maybe got a, a health issue or whatever and i deliberately 
did a blog post where it was two women and they were smiling, they were laughing. Um, I think I put something like, you never know what is behind somebody's smile, mm-hmm. because you don't. I mean, I am the ultimate person that will have a smile on my face, always. But I could be breaking inside. Um, and because we don't necessarily want the outside world to truthfully know what's going on on the inside, even though our heads might be screaming for help. Mm-hmm. Our hearts are kind of like, no, I don't want people to know that I'm not strong. Um, I think for me, I really struggle with being vulnerable. Even though I am really vulnerable, I'm really, I'm really a soft-hearted person. Mm-hmm. But I think the experiences I've had kind of are like, no, you're not going there. Yeah. You know, you're not going to let that break you. Um, maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should cry more. <laughs> maybe that could be your 2020 resolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I did cry actually this morning. Uh-huh. Um, my daughter showed me, um, there's a TV presenter over here, mm-hmm. and he's just come out as being gay. Mm-hmm even though he's married and he's been married a lot of years and I got really really emotional and she was she stood here and she went why are you crying you don't know this man I'm like no but what a really brave thing to do because yeah. he did it on national tv wow. what a brave thing to do to actually come out and say this is who I am and she went I really can't believe you're crying over that and I'm like I don't know what's going on <laughs> So I do cry well. I'm not a robot, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone who's listening to you today um, can can say, hey, this woman is actually pretty vulnerable sharing her story and her life lessons um, with people all around the world who are tun- tuning in. So, yes, I would say you're pretty vulnerable. Yeah, I am. And, but I think it takes a lot for me to admit that mm-hmm. because I suppose... I'm the one person that is there for everybody else, like yeah. all my family, the children, my mum and dad, because um, my mum had a stroke aged 41, mm-hmm. and she can't speak now, and she's in a wheelchair. So that was pretty difficult, you know, because obviously you've got, you've got one parent that you don't speak to, and then you've got another parent that you can't speak to, even though you want to speak to. And mm-hmm. um, there's been so many times, I think, especially in these past three years, where I wanted to go, Mum, what would you do? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you handle this situation? Especially with my granddaughter's adoption process and mm-hmm. um, losing her through adoption. Um, and my nana dying. My nana was, she was my north. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still very raw. Mm-hmm. She was my. I don't know, she was my rock really, she was the one that was always there, kind of, you know, she, she was who I went to after the abuse, who hugged me, who held me, um, after the bullying when that got really, really bad, um, you know, she was the one that patched me up, um, and she was the one that always throughout life kept saying to me, you know, don't you let go of your dreams, you know, you can do whatever you want to do, and mm-hmm. um, when my when my you know daughter's dad was abusing me that's where I escaped to you know I went mm-hmm. to my mama's and and I remember her shutting the door in his face saying no she's not here 
know, driven all the way from Somerset to Yorkshire. No, he's not. She's not <laughs> here. You're not coming in. Um, and even though I knew she'd been ill, life was just so busy. I just couldn't find the time to actually get across to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got that phone call to say that obviously she'd she passed, that just it literally just shattered me, and. I went indeed to a very, very dark place for about four months. Mm. I wouldn't say I didn't want to be here, but there was days where I just, I couldn't communicate. I couldn't, my heart just wasn't in it. It Mm -hmm. just, I'd kind of not given up, but I kind of just couldn't be bothered. It was like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow or or, never mind. My emotions just completely, completely shut down. Mm -hmm. And even though I'd wanted to better myself, like the, the coaching course, the Beautiful You coaching course, mm-hmm. I'd looked at that for about six years, but the timing was just never right. And it was always, I can't justify spending that money on me when I've got vulnerable kids, when the kids need stuff, when the house needs stuff. Um, but on this particular day, I remember it was, it was about a month after when Anna had passed and it was the last day for the course and I was sat here on this very chair I can't even remember what I was doing I think I was just looking at the screen thinking oh god I so wish and nobody else was in the house I was in the house by myself and I just got in my ear all for god's sake just push that bloody damn button and I literally got shoved off my chair and I was like okay I hear you I'm doing it I had no clue how I was going to pay for it but I just I pushed that button because I just knew that if I didn't she would have come back and spanked my backside (laughs) (laughs) and I've had moments since that where she's come to me in a vision Um, I did a soul day Mm -hmm. which was a day where I just totally took myself away um, and did my vision board and did my plans for the year and we were doing a meditation and I just burst out crying and I thought this is just not, it's not funny now mm-hmm. and I just saw her clear as day and she just said to me, you know, you can, I can leave now, you're where you need to be, you're fine and I just had this overwhelming anger because I was like, you could have waited till tomorrow, it's my birthday tomorrow, why today? <laughs> and that's all I could say to my friend. Why didn't she come tomorrow? <laughs> and there's been other little little things like she sent me my hummingbird logo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know she's still there kind of guiding me and kind of in the background kind of going, you've got this, you can do this. Um, but I think for me, she was the only person that ever did that throughout my life. So it was kind of a really, really big thing to lose her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said this year I want to kind of go and put some flowers on a grave um, I've not been brave enough before because I think it was just too raw but yeah those six months sort of losing my granddaughter and then losing my nan in that period of time it was it was tough it was hard mm-hmm. um, and I don't admit in you know I don't mind admitting saying yes I broke not completely um, but yeah it was tough mm-hmm. it was really hard Mm, I think this and I don't want anybody else going through that. Yeah, and I think that's that's really important to 
to share with others that despite all the other challenges and all the other curveballs that you've had, um, there's still things in life that are going to show up that are going to give you a challenge or throw you and you're, you may not know how to deal with it in that moment or you just may have to go through that grieving process and just feel those feelings and and be in those that moment and really go through it yourself and be understanding and giving your permission yourself permission to grieve um yeah because you've never dealt with that before um i think i'm curious to know as well because yes. your your grandmom sounds like such a fiery fierce wonderful oh, woman gosh. she was an absolute firecracker <laughs> i'll give you i'll give you a for instance they um they lived in all our family lived on like one long street mm-hmm and their end was like um it was like a little cul-de-sac and we called it the bullwing and all the kids on a saturday would gather and we'd play like kirby and kiss chase and all that kind of stuff we do as youngster um this particular i'm sure it was a saturday because i was off school so and i can remember just hearing this almighty screaming and i thought that's my nan what's she doing they were being burgled and one of them got away because their house backed onto woods so one of them got away through the through the back up to the woods the other one got stuck even now i can still see got stuck on my nan's window ledge well she decided oh no he's not going to stay there she only pushed him off (laughs) (laughs) and i remember coming down and I don't know if it was a brush or whatever she'd got in her hand. And she was like, how dare you work on me? I, I, you're not getting away with this, blah, 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 blah. And she gave him the paste in his life. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my life. But, yeah, she was she was the real head of the family. Um, it's all right. I can see my younger daughter lurking. Can you see that? <laughs> She's still in the dressing gown. She's being lazy. It's a day off. Um, but yeah she was my mum was she was the boss she was the boss even though my mum was fiery you would never ever mess with now mm. um whatever she said you did <laughs> yeah, she, but i think that is i don't know i think that is typical of yorkshire ladies especially the older generation you know you'd go to them for advice you'd see them on a saturday scrubbing their little red steps um you know, she looked after her own mum because her own mum was bed bound. Mm-hmm. And the only time I've ever known my great grandma get out of bed was to slap my mum across the face because my because when my mum first became a single parent, she struggled. She had no money, and so she had to break into the electric meter mm-hmm. to feed me and my brother. And my great grandma got out of bed slapped her and then said why didn't you come to us for help my mum is quite a proud lady so she was like well there's no way I was doing that so yeah the the females in my family we've all got a fiery nature even me <laughs> if I'm pushed to the limit and um, my husband always says if you annoy me you better run, <laughs> you better run fast. <laughs> I love that I- it's not true I'm a sweetheart <laughs> And I think a lot of people would be really interested in if you don't mind going back to 
this moment because uh, I think it might help a lot of listeners who might be dealing with a similar thing. Um, because you've you've touched a lot about how there's a theme of you've always struggled with being seen and being heard because it was a coping mechanism um, that yeah. you needed to protect yourself um, in certain points of your your life. Now, um, can you can you kind of go back to that moment? You were saying that you were. Um, a victim of sexual and domestic abuse. Um, can you can you share with um, the listeners how you were feeling, how you were communicating or not communicating? Were you using that survival technique, and what was um, what was that like for you? Um, and when did you find that fiery voice um, to break that cycle? Um. That's actually quite difficult to answer, not because, not because mm-hmm. of my thoughts and feelings, but I suppose because I've never really sat and thought about how I dealt with it. Um, as a child, when I when the abuse was happening as a child, I was five when it started, and he was a family friend. So it was kind of like, oh, you know, have I been naughty? Is this a punishment? You know, obviously at that time, I didn't know what he was doing was wrong. It was only when I, because I was rescued from the house. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's when it all came out. Um, and when the police came to interview me, it took them about three weeks to get everything out of me. And even to, the, even to today, nobody knows the true extent of what happened. I don't know why. Um, it's, I suppose for me it's something that is still really really hurtful and harmful so I kind of kind of shut it off to the back of my mind it's almost like it happened to somebody else mm-hmm. um, but I didn't really open up but I also felt a lot of guilt because I felt I'd let down my mum and you know her being a really strong person I felt I'd embarrassed her which I suppose is quite odd, really. Um, but in them days, it was never allowed to be spoken about. Um, you know, so I kind of just shut it away. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I went to secondary school and one of the other girls that was in the house at the time, she was um, a year above me. And obviously we recognised each other. And she then started this bullying campaign Um which was really, really tough to deal with. And so I got called all sorts of names, as you can imagine. Um, shut in the toilets, um, chucked into bushes, um, you know, stopped on the way home, literally stamped on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was quite horrific. Um, and I, I, part of me felt like I deserved it. Now, looking back, it was kind of like, actually, no, you never, ever deserved that. You didn't ask for that. But at the time, it was almost like, well, you've obviously been a bad person. You've obviously made this happen. Um, And even, you know, when I chose to enter into relationships that were toxic and then ultimately violent, even then it was still, you've, you've done this if you're a better person they might stop that won't happen Mm -hmm. um and it took a lot of guts for me to to end those relationships and leave it was only after i had my daughter and it was still happening 
um, he threw me down the stairs with her in my arms and bruised all my back. Oh my goodness. And I'd had to go to the GP for a new pill prescription. And my mum suspected, obviously, what was going on. So she'd mentioned it to the GP. So he said to me, oh, for this prescription, I need to do a full um, examination. And I said, no, obviously. And he said, well, no, no, I can't give it you unless you do. So reluctantly, I did. And he asked where these bruises came from. And I just said, oh, I fell down the stairs, which was partly true. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, well, I didn't lie, really. And... <laughs> um, and he just said, look, you know, you need to, I'm going to give you, a, for instance, either end the relationship or I'll apply to, you know, have your daughter taken away. And which was obviously never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just kind of put my big curl pants on, as I like to say. And I went home and I said, we can't do this anymore. I need to leave. Um, he then tried to kill himself. Um he did also to try and stop me from leaving. He locked me in. He um, he was a big fan of, um, I don't know what you call it over in America, but he smoked weed and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was high as a kite, but kept me locked in the house for 48 hours, oh just sat goodness. on the settee. And I was like, okay, how much longer can this month stay awake? Mm-hmm. You know, because I, in my head, I knew the minute he was asleep, I was going. I didn't care how I had to get out of the house. I was, I was going. Eventually, I did. Um, luckily, my parents only lived around the corner, and um, so I, I went straight home. And I said, "Look, I can't go back until he's gone." So my stepdad came home with me the next morning, and he threatened him with a baseball bat. And he said to me, "You better come back with, you know, a helmet on you because I'm gonna literally kill you." Um, we got him out but he'd taken my house keys and things so he managed to get back in um, and then raped me oh which even even at the time I was it was almost like an out of body experience I can't explain it any other way it's, mm. it was almost like I I shut my head off to what was happening mm-hmm. you know it, it was almost like it was happening to somebody else I suppose that I can I can talk about it in that sense as though it's happening to somebody else but I think a part of me still hasn't dealt with that hurt and that anger because mm-hmm. I am bloody really angry that these experiences happen to me but I know they don't just happen to me I know it's you know there's more people coming out now saying you know this kind of thing's happened and I don't ever if my experience can help somebody else to not feel so alone mm-hmm. and to kind of think wow you know we've had a similar experience or yes that person's brave enough to talk about it and put a stop to it because ultimately I think we're all we can only take care of ourselves nobody else can do it for us one of my friends said to me last year nobody else can rescue you only you can rescue you and I think for a lot of years in fact I know for a lot of years I've kind of looked outside for validation you know if that person loves me I'm loved Mm -hmm. if that person likes me I'm liked it's only in this past 18 months where I've been doing my coaching and my counselling that I've actually realised it it comes from me 
you know, if I don't, if I don't love me, sorry, mm. <laughs> if I don't love me, nobody else is going to love me. And um, I think that's been a really big lesson for me to learn. Um, like even with the book, mm. you know, that chapter was never ever going to be spoken about. It was something that was going to stay locked away forever. But it just, it kind of wrote itself. And I thought, oh, well, what will be, will be. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, my family have been really supportive. Um, but I do know I've got other family members that are probably sat there thinking, I really want to strangle this girl right now. <laughs> but I just think it's my memories, my journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a reflection on them. The biggest one for me was my brother. Um, because he, you know, he was only a baby because um, there's 18 months between us. Mm-hmm. So it was still that I wanted to protect him. Yeah. But even he was like, I'm really proud that you've done this. And for, for him, that's a big thing because he's mm-hmm. not a man of many words at all. Um, so it kind of made me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yesterday was kind of a, a very surreal moment in my life thinking it's, it's not a come full circle but it's kind of made a dent um, and I know personally I've still got a long way to go mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm still on this learning journey and I say that to my clients you know I'm not perfect I don't know it all I don't have all the answers but my experiences and the curveballs and walking those miles smiling while crying mm-hmm. I've been there done it got the t-shirt I can hold your hand through this I understand and I think that is really important because the niche I want to work in, I want to work with ladies that maybe feel invisible, maybe have had that heartache and don't know the next steps to take. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I can hold somebody else's hand and say, actually, it's there, you've just got to try and figure out what you want, who you are. Because I think when you've had curveballs, when you become a mum, you know, or you're a carer looking after somebody else, you know, it doesn't just have to be a mum, it could you could be caring for a partner or parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we do lose a part of ourselves, you know. And I think each each curveball that life gives you just chips away a little bit more. Um, and it's about rebuilding, reconnecting to kind of the dreams that you once had. Like they've always been there, they've always been locked away. Like I always call it like the little pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like a little piece of paper that you unravel yes. bit by bit, and it's slowly coming back to life. Um, but it's about unraveling that. It's about remembering what you what you wanted, and how that changed. You know, because life does change us. You know, mm-hmm. we we grow each and every day. We learn something new each and every day. So yeah, I'm waffling now. <laughs> no, no, I think it's so relatable. And and I'm curious as well, because um, yes, there are all those curveballs. Um, where, where do you think was the turning point for you after being a victim of sexual and domestic abuse to being uh, finding your voice and um, finding your your and recognizing your own priorities and desires and goals? Um, 
oh gosh I think I've never I've never thought of myself as a victim and that was one thing I didn't want I always said I'm not a victim Um, yes it happened to me but I'm not going to let them beat me you know Mm -hmm. and but as for finding my voice I think I'm still learning mm-hmm. you know it's I think it's only really in this past 18 months after I lost my nan and after I lost Ava that it suddenly hit me life is too short um, and you're a long time dead as my granddad used to say mm-hmm. you know so yeah so I'm still learning on that one mm-hmm. um, and every day I get a little bit braver some days I'll be honest I want to just like especially this week because I've been in the paper this week and Mm -hmm. seen my ugly mug on the paper it was kind of like oh wow you did that um so yeah every day I'm finding my bravery a little bit more um I've always had a gob on me shall I say (laughs) and I've always been one to speak up for the people not necessarily myself though um but if I feel passionately about something, I will I will stand my ground. Um, you know, like in any discussion, um, you know, if I feel somebody is wrong, I don't mind going. Actually, I think you're wrong on that, and then we'll argue the point until they are proved right or I'm proved mm-hmm. right. Um, but yeah, I think finding my own voice, um, I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a process. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think that's really healthy to let everyone know that we're all beginners in areas of our lives and to, to give ourselves the grace and permission to be a beginner and to just learn as we go. And I think your your story, uh, you're very adaptable um, at, at whatever life throws to you. And it shows how, um, how much of a, a quick study and learner and, and you are um, with with things that you've been dealt with. Um, I think listeners might be really um, curious as to maybe any tips that you have had just in this learning curve of um, being able to find your voice. Are there any tips that you'd recommend to other women who might be struggling as introverts or maybe as um, survivors of abuse, how they can take ownership of their voice? I think the biggest one that I have learned for me personally and that I would now say to somebody else don't judge yourself by anybody else's standards and that to me was a really big one because I call, I call it comparonitis mm-hmm. and I was very I would very often look at somebody else and think oh my gosh their journey is amazing look where they are but that may, might be their end journey you know like you say we're all beginners you know we're all learning something new every day so I think for me it's about having that a little bit of grace to kind of say to yourself yeah today might not be a good day I might not have got as much done but just allow yourself to breathe and just be proud of how far you've come Um, because nobody else knows the journey you've gone on or what you're going through and each step is a big step so yeah I think for me I would say stop comparing yourself and you know judge yourself on your own standards 
because only you know your own heart like for me I know like as much as I can want the world to like me I'm not for everybody and that's fine not everybody is for me you know we all have different friends of different ages you know for different parts of our lives I'm a big believer in somebody is put into your path for a reason and it's you either it's just to learn from um people stay people go you know and I think if you try and hold on to somebody for the wrong reasons you know that that just hurts you in the end mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah just live your life on your own terms and be true to who you are you know nobody else can do you Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big one for me this year. Nobody else can do me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think part of your process of taking ownership of your voice and your, your own story, um, you were saying that you are now an author. You've written your book. Yay! Woohoo! That is so surreal to say that. <laughs> Yes. So ladies, she has this wonderful book that's coming out at the end of February in 2020. Um, so more details will be, I'll make sure to share that um, in the show notes and, and on social media for you ladies to check it out. But um, Lisa, would you be able to share a little bit about what this book is and how, you know, what made you decide to write it? I was actually approached um, to be a part of the book um, by um a local lady author she's she wrote her first book about seven years ago um she became a single mum and she didn't want a cleaning job forever so she took the board by the home and wrote her first story uh she's since gone on to do i think it's five more she's also a ghost writer and she's um a mentor as well now so and she's walked us all through each and every step and without her I just I don't know if I would have carried on we've had some amazing conversations and but yeah she approached me because she knew a little bit about my background um and she knew that I was not one for giving up easily so when she approached me and said would you like to be a part of it I was like firstly oh my god I'm too scared I can't ever put my words out there but it was something I, I knew I wanted to do. Um, so I kind of just said to her, do you want an overview of my life or do you want a particular chapter? And she just said, be guided by what comes to you. So I did both. I did an overview. And then it was about a week later and I thought, no, that's not actually where my story begins. And I just sat down and like I said, the words just flowed I think I wrote it within a day and um, and when I read it back I was like that's gonna hit a lot of nerves mm-hmm. <laughs> um cried a lot because I don't think I'd actually gone back to that point in time um but there's 13 other women in the book each one has got a really really heartbreaking inspirational story to tell um there's death there's loss there's heartbreak there's abuse um and i am so so proud of each and every lady you girls rock (laughs) and you know when i when i read it back i was like oh my god some of this makes my life tame in comparison um 
but yeah it launched yesterday and i think this morning we were on six we've got in num- in the number one of six categories oh fantastic so it was like i was like oh my god this is just so utterly amazing so yeah get out there and buy it <laughs> oh my god fantastic change your life <laughs> Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. That's that's really Thank huge. You. And and also just really must feel empowering to that's your that's your words, that's your voice, that's your experience and who knows what who it's gonna help along the way. Um empowering I don't think is the word I got used yesterday. She mm-hmm. was scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I can't speak for the other ladies, but obviously for me it was kind of it was more oh my gosh somebody else is going to read my words and there is that fear then of kind of are you going to get judged for that Mm -hmm. but ultimately also for me it's kind of if my journey can help somebody else not to feel so alone and to kind of sit there and think oh you know I had a parent that wasn't there you know I had a, that happened to me, mm-hmm. you know, and that led me to different choices because it does shape you, you know. I think even if you've lost a parent through death or any any other way, it, you know, your parents do shape you. They shape your life. They shape mm-hmm. how your future is going to be. And if you've had loving parents, I think you've been very, very lucky. Um, but for me, I just want people to know that there is somebody out there that understands, you know, and that you're not alone in the world. You've got somebody else that, you know, is out there somewhere. Um, and I often put on my blog post, you know, my ear and my inbox is always open. And, um, you know, so I, as my granddad used to say, a problem shared is a problem halved. Mm. And I, I quite like that. So, but yeah, I mean, some of these ladies have just they've been through so much and they've overcome so much and I think to get to the place we're all at now um I don't know I think we we should be pretty damn proud Mm. so yeah I know I am I'm proud of me anyway. Fantastic. I'm sitting here kind of, you know, here on the other side of the world, also very proud of you as well. I can't wait to, to hear more about Thank the book you. and see it. Um, I'm, I'm also, just through all the stories that you shared, what strikes me is that you are, and you might roll your eyes at this term, um, <laughs> a very brave woman. And I think when people say brave, you're like, oh, but you don't know how like how much stress and hard work and the indecision and all the things in between that went from you being, like you said, shit scared to yeah. to making that choice and making that decision to move through it. So what has been the thing that's gotten you to move and to change despite that fear? I don't want anybody else going through what I'm going through. Simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if I can help one other person by sharing my words and sharing parts of what I've been through, you know, that's, to me, it will have been worth it. Um, yeah, I think for me, because I'm always heart-led, you know, it gets me into trouble a lot of the time, but, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it, to me, my life 
I think has always been about helping somebody else because obviously I didn't have that as a youngster you know there was no support there was nobody to talk to and I always said I think I must have been about 15 and I remember sitting there thinking you know this is something I needed I want but there's nothing there but obviously in the meantime life gets in the way you know you become a mum you become a wife and you know life gets busy so things get put on hold Mm -hmm. but that fire that that one need to help somebody else has always remained and I think even I think I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't put my heart out there and if I didn't say to somebody else look you know if you need a guiding hand you know grab on let's let's take that carpet ride you know wherever it takes Mm -hmm. you you know and voice would be nice (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah yes for me it's it's about helping somebody else and just letting somebody else know that they're not alone Mm. um and if that means me being vulnerable and and just opening up then god help them and I think that's what's um, so important that, and to really hit home for, for everyone listening about finding, you know, doing the work to find your why, to find that, that why that matches with your deep core values of who you are as a person at the deepest level. That is going to give you the energy when you don't think you can continue anymore. That's going to be the one that drives you to 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 move and to change despite all the fears and despite all the challenges. It's what gives you that that juice and that motivation. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think for me, I look at my little nine-year-old now and I think already she's overcome so many traumatic experiences. I don't want her going through what I did. I don't want her thinking that she's not good enough or that she can't do whatever she wants to do. Um, We had a conversation the other day about, oh, I'm not good enough. And I just sat there and I said, you are always good enough. You know, don't ever let anybody tell you that you cannot do what you want to do. You know, if you want to do it, you will do it. we all put boundaries in in the way we all put obstacles in the way you know we all tell ourselves that oh i can't possibly do that or you know i'm not good enough to do that or i don't have the money to do that it's it's utter bullshit (laughs) yes yes you know for so many years i'll be honest you know as a person i told myself that i told myself i wasn't worth it i didn't have the money but if you really want something, then you will find a way to make it happen. Um, and I think that's important, especially as a woman, because as a mum and a wife, we do, we always think, oh, well, you know, we, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't take care of ourselves. We shouldn't buy that pretty dress in the window or that cream cake or whatever it is that you want. You know, it's always, I've got the kids to look out for. I've got something the house needs wallpaper in or you know the bathroom needs a new bulb or the husband wants to go wherever he wants to go and I think as women we very often put ourselves at the bottom of the pile Mm -hmm. and I think if we don't look after ourselves um, 
and kind of put our needs first we can't look after anybody else and that has been a really tough lesson to learn for me um you know until i hit that burnout point i i honestly thought i was invincible um and that i'd just go on the way i was going on forever and it does it makes you it makes you sit still and it makes you sit and think and i'm not one for sitting and thinking because that's when the thoughts come in and it's kind of i've always stopped that i've always kind of like no i can't just sit still because that it did it scared me Mm -hmm. because it's that well if i get that thought today how am i going to deal with it Mm -hmm. um for me one way i do deal with it i am i journal a lot Mm -hmm. um and I use that in my practice as well. I get my clients to journal and vision board and things like that. But yeah, so as a woman, you do, you have to look after yourself first, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of say, not sod it to everybody else, but kind of like, like, I need 10 minutes today, even if it is hiding in the toilet with a book. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you mentioned journaling as a, as a way to kind of work through, um, some of the the things that are going through your mind whether that be negative self-talk or fears or um just trying to figure out your own priorities and your own focus what's uh if somebody's new to journaling how can they start just open page simple just open the page don't think um i'll be honest i years ago when I first started journaling I was like oh my god this is just it's like keeping a diary isn't it when you're a teenager yeah. and you don't want anybody to read it and I was so rubbish at it as well yeah but I had to um, see a counsellor when I was maybe 26 because things just became too much and I remember her handing me this really big book um, on abuse and she basically told me it was my own fault read this and you'll understand she said and she said if you get angry go home and punch your pillow and I thought okay well what's that gonna do (laughs) and I just bought myself a notepad and and I spent the full day just you know just writing things out I didn't just I didn't think about it and I think that's the thing if you sit and you think about what you want to write you block yourself Mm. so for me I just opened the page and I, I just call it soul journal and some people call it free, free writing and um, dream writing, scribing, however you want to describe it. Just open the page and just write whatever comes out. Don't think about it, don't analyse it, just let it flow mm-hmm. and then read it afterwards. And then you can always scribble it out and go, actually, no, that's not right. Or, But I just find it very, very therapeutic. I doodle a lot as well in mine, mm-hmm. or I might paint, or I might draw, um, but I can get lost for hours in my little notebook. Mm-hmm. But I do always take myself in a different room. I have, I've got a conservatory, and I just I'll go in there. I'll light my candle, I'll have a cup of tea, and I'll shut the door, and mm-hmm. I'll say to to the husband and the little one, "I'm having nanny time, ten minutes." <laughs> Fantastic. And I think that's really um, important for, for women who might be relating to your story of, you know, just having to be the caretaker, ha- having that 
having that feeling of having to do it all and allowing yourself those moments in the day where you as a woman, you as an introvert can really recharge, can do some introspective work, can look after your own health, like you were saying, to, you know, you have to look after yourself before you can look after anyone else. So it's reminding women that they can have, they have the choice to, to craft their own schedules and look after themselves as well. Yeah, and it's really important. And any woman sat there now that's going, I don't have the time. You do. You do have the time. And I had a coaching client this week, and she was like, I just, I don't have the time. I said, you do. I mm-hmm. said, but you have to make that time. You know, we all have 24 hours in a day. And, you know, we all have busy lives, you know, jobs, outside stuff. And I said to her, even if it's five minutes on a Saturday morning, you know, and you have to set your alarm for half past six before everybody else gets up, just to have that five minutes of you time, mm-hmm. it's really, really important. Yeah. Um, you know, most mornings I'm up between six and seven, um, unless I'm not sleeping and then it's like four or five o'clock, but mm-hmm. that's the time I sit and I listen to the birds and I'll light a candle and I'll sit with my journal and a cup of tea and I'll just daydream mm-hmm. and that's all it is really it's daydreaming daydream about what you want for your life what you want to achieve even if you think that it could never happen dream you know mm-hmm. it's you've got to allow yourself that because you'd go so crazy if you didn't absolutely so, yeah and it's amazing what can come out in that silence when you allow yourself that silence like you were saying instead of running away from the silence and filling it with all the things that you have to or want to do giving yourself that silence because that's when you can hear your your intuition speak and what are those truths and what are those answers to those questions that you might have or what um what do you feel led to prioritize or focus on in this next stage of your life exactly because I think we're all guilty of being busy mm-hmm. and saying to somebody else, oh, I'm really busy today. But it's that busyness, you making yourself busy because you don't want to sit with that silence. And I was guilty, and I'll openly admit that, you know, up until last year, I was very much of the mind, I don't want to sit in silence. I, I can't. And then I had a... I had a nasty eye infection and mm-hmm. I couldn't see for three days so I had to do nothing but sit in silence and it really gave me a lot of clarity and it really kind of for want of a better word opened my eyes to my own thoughts and my own inner instincts and vulnerabilities and why I was scared um, you know yes things happen but if you let them consume you you're never going to live yeah so yeah it's you know it's life is a funny old thing it's um it can be scary but it can also be fun if you let it and for me now it's you know I don't know why I've got to like nearly 51 and thought now is the time but I don't know maybe I'm I would say I'm 21 plus tax. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy the rest of, you know, what my life might bring. It might not bring me everything I want, and it might not be what I originally set out to do, 
but that's the beauty of it it's the beauty of them not knowing and them not knowing what you're capable of mm -hmm. unless you try absolutely and and now that you're in this beautiful next stage and next um, of your life, um, how do you stay? How do you how do you stay sovereign and, and take that ownership in your own mind, body, and soul? Hmm. I think for me, it's kind of I don't know. It's it's knowing that I can. It's knowing that I can allow myself to have that grace to make mistakes you know to know i'm not perfect to know i'm not going to get it right all the time and mm because -hmm. um, like i said before i don't have all the answers um you know we all grow a little each day and learn a little bit new each day from every person that we meet um but yeah i think for me it's about finally not hiding who i am and um, i'm finally owning the fact that I was given a big gob for a reason um, <laughs> and using it for good rather than hiding it away and rather than thinking if I say the words I want to say somebody's going to judge me people are going to judge me whatever mm -hmm. you know and um, they're going to judge the way I dress the way I look and um, the way the color of my hair um, the fact that I'm only a five foot dwarf um, you know, we all get judged for different reasons and we can't stop that. And I think I've learned in this past 18 months that it doesn't matter. Um, you've just got to do you anyway and, you know, just go for it. Mm -hmm. I'm brave sat behind a computer screen bank. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's your, what's your next focus now? Um, going deeper um, I think this year is all about just not hustling anymore not trying too hard I think I was guilty before of being not being a trier because I've always been a trier I've always wanted to do my best but I think for me it was, I was always looking outside of myself I was always thinking well if I'm liked by that person or if I do this this might be better Whereas it's learning to like the person I am now, not the person I used to be, mm -hmm. or the person I may be in future. Um, because none of us know what the future holds. Um, but the next step for me is going deeper with the clients. Um, I'm sort of, at the minute, we've been working on three month programs, but I want to do it over six months because I think if you've had a lot of trauma for instance three months you're just scratching the surface mm -hmm. um, so I want to take them on a deeper more nurturing journey mm -hmm. um, and I'm also wanting to do kind of like a year-long really immersive program and um, but I'm still kind of figuring out the what I want to include in that um, and that's been bubbling for about 18 months um, because I don't as much as I love working one-to-one, -one, I want to be able to work with more women mm -hmm. at one time. So this year-long program, I suppose it'd be kind of like a membership where they can dip in and out as they want. Mm -hmm. um, but like I say, for me, because I still struggle with that visibility, it's kind of like, how am I going to deliver that 
so it's for me this year it's about working out what I want to offer within that how I'm going to do it um, and just connecting to different people around me growing mm-hmm. my own circle and growing yeah. as a woman and a, as a person in my own right so yeah this year is going to be quite big um, and then obviously just being brave enough to like do the Facebook lives which is I don't know it scares me mm. like I did one yesterday and I had no makeup on I looked as rough as anything but I thought I've just gotta just go for it and so yeah I want to do more Facebook lives because I think that's one of the way forwards for me as a businesswoman so that people see the real me so you know whether I've got a face full of makeup or in my PJs they know I'm still that same person Mm -hmm. does that make sense absolutely I think that's so relatable as well and and something that I've definitely struggled with as well with disability and 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 like you're saying it goes to like the negative self-talk in your head of why would somebody show up to watch me or listen to me and yeah um, I think that it's important to for everyone to know that that's it's never going to go away because I think that's just part of the human experience but there's ways that you can cope with that and to recognize it and when you recognize yeah. it it holds less power over you yeah you know it's it's just at the end of the day it's just you behind a screen like yesterday I just said you're just behind a screen right pretend you're talking to your own camera you know and and like I did it and everybody was like oh but you know that was awesome or whatever and I'm like oh my god thank god that's over because you can it's with me if I'm nervous my body is just like it's like a little ball and it's like this yes it's crazy on me um so yeah it was and I think it was just pure nervous energy um but I get like that each and every time and each and every time I go into a different environment like mm-hmm. networking for instance you know especially if it's a big crowd like my face mm-hmm. and my upper body will be hello but the rest of me is kind of like oh my god and like you say I think it is that will always be a fear but it's about controlling me controlling it rather than it controlling me Mm -hmm. but I want people to be able to see kind of the real me the raw me I don't want to have to be polished because I'm not a polished person I'm not I'm not one for putting on airs and graces, well, as you've heard. Um, I'm not, you know, I swear if I'm passionate about something, the odd swear word comes out anyway. That's just <laughs> a northern thing, I think. Um, but no, I'm an informal person. I'm not, I'm not polished. I'm not, I'm not, I can be ladylike and I can wear a ball gown and things like that. But in everyday life, I'm a PJs and t-shirt mm-hmm. girl. Um, and I want people to see that. I want them to be able to relate to that as well as the lady that can wear a dress. Um, because I know life isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's what I want for people. I want them to be able to to sort of think, oh God, yeah, I can talk to this person. You know, just like having a cup of tea in my living room. That's what I want. I want them to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, you're definitely my type of gal as well. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. We we love like that down to earth, just you know, 
that that realness <laughs> yeah and it is isn't it it's about keeping keeping life real because let's be honest we, we all have curveballs in life and we all have you know days when we think oh my god i can't cope with today let it let it be over but you know right it's about how you deal with it isn't it a hundred percent and how you're able to communicate with others as well and and to share your story because that's where the true power is to to be able to say this is what i've learned this is me and and share that yeah and if you can make somebody else laugh as well Mm -hmm. exactly even if it's something stupid i'm saying Well, Lisa, it's been an absolute joy um, listening to you and meeting you and talking to you and hearing all about your your amazing life. And I definitely can't wait to see you on your next steps and seeing you become more um, sassy and spirited and fierce on the on on the internet. <laughs> so, right. So, where can other women who've really connected with you today? Where can they find you? They can find me um, on Facebook at Lisa Martin Coaching, or I have a Facebook group, um, Soul Power Queen. They can come and join me in there, um, or the website, which is www.lisamartindesigns.com. Fantastic. And I have my blog and everything on there as well, so just come say hi. Excellent. Just come stalk me. <laughs> Wonderful. And what's your um, book called again? Uh, it's called The Girls Who Refuse to Quit. Fantastic, and will that be accessible on Amazon? And yeah, it's all, it was it got released yesterday, so it's on Amazon now. So. Woohoo! Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, uh, go check out Lisa's new book. All of her amazing. Uh, check her out. Send her a message. Um, tell her where you've um, found her from. And um, yes, wishing you all an amazing rest of the day, Lisa. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully it gave you the boost you needed to start your week. If it did, it would be appreciated if you spent two minutes right now to give this podcast a review on iTunes and then share the episode with an introverted friend who needs to hear this message. Your review will make sure other ambitious introverts who are struggling to find their voice and focus find this show and can receive the love and support we hope you felt today. Thank you. And remember, your perceived introverted weaknesses are your powerhouse.